0: Hey everyone, you're listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. All right, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. That should be fairly obvious. We are in a series in Hebrews 11, and we are looking at... Two new characters today. Uh, Last week, you would have heard a bit about Abraham and Isaac and that remarkable story of Abraham taking his son up on that mountain to be sacrificed. Now, we we heard a lot about Abraham's response and the importance of his response in obedience. But just pause for a minute. Let's, Let's give some thought to Isaac's response. We must remember that Isaac would have been aware of what was unfolding, no doubt, especially when his dad strapped the wood to his back and said, hey, we're going up the mountain to sacrifice. Isaac would have looked around and said, okay, there's two of us, and there's wood on my back. Where's the animal? No animal to be sacrificed. And so as they went all the way up, and let's spare a thought for Sarah back at home. She must have known this is what's unfolding, and the faith of this family being tested, the severe testing of their faith, and this remarkable obedience to the point where it was as if it had been done. In the last seconds, God intervenes and provides in a dramatic way. And so today we turn from Abraham and Isaac, and uh, the author of Hebrews leads us to another example. And so throughout Hebrews 11, we've been looking at example after example of people of faith. And the point that he's trying to make is follow their faith, learn from their faith, look at the faith of these witnesses, this great cloud of witnesses are there to inspire us, that we would follow in their footsteps, that we would learn from their Example And so today we look at two more witnesses. We're going to be looking at Jacob and Joseph. Jacob and Joseph come to us together, and they bring us to the end of the examples in the book of Genesis. Up till now, we've only looked at the examples or the witnesses that we see in Genesis. So let's read the text, verse 21 and verse 22. It's the common refrain. It's the refrain that's introduced us to all of these examples by Faith, by faith, here we go. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now, I don't know about you, but I read this and I'm thinking, gosh, of all the moments to pick on In both Jacob and Joseph's lives. I mean, these are two huge characters in the book of Genesis. In fact, between Jacob and Joseph, they take up half of the book of Genesis. From chapters 25 all the way through to 50, is all about Jacob and Joseph. Jacob's sons, Joseph going to Egypt, being sold and betrayed, rising to power. What a wonderful story. And the author of Hebrews wants to focus on their deathbed. What's going on? Why? The author is taking us on a journey through these great men and women of faith. And when it comes to Jacob and Joseph, he wants to zoom in on the last hours of their lives. There's all of these other marvelous moments that we are to overlook in this particular moment. And so my question is, Why? What is so significant about a dying believer's faith? Let me say that again. Why is this so important? A dying believer's faith. And we're going to look at this under two main headings and then draw out some conclusions. Firstly, we're going to look at Jacob's dying deed. And then we're going to look at Joseph's dying words. So firstly, Jacob's dying deed. Verse 21. By faith. Jacob, when dying, and here's his deed, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now, right at the outset, we see here that faith and death are not opposites. Amen? Faith and death are not opposed to each other. In other words... What we see here is Jacob is full of faith. Jacob is worshipping, the text tells us. Jacob is faithful, worshipping, and he's blessing while dying. The text says, Jacob, by faith, when dying. And so we know, church, as we've been saying over the last few weeks, that faith is not some magic wand that we wave in order to heal the sick. Or to evade death. This strange idea that if you have enough faith, you will be healed. Or if you possess faith, or if you exercise faith, then you can heal the sick and raise the dead. Jesus could do that. But we're not Jesus. And when we read those parts in the Gospels where Jesus did those things, the question, should we should the conclusion, rather, that we should come to is not, I can do that. <laughs> you know, you don't re- read about the resurrection of, of Lazarus and go, I can do that. No. It, the question we ask is what the Bible asks, and that is, who is this? You know, when Jesus calms the wind and the waves, You don't go, I can do that. Especially when you're living in PE, right? Good luck. When we see the miracles of Jesus in the Gospels, we ask the question that the Gospels authors ask, and that is, who is this? Who is this that calms the wind and the waves? Who is this that raises the dead? And that's not doubting. It's an act of faith. Now, I do believe that People can be healed. I do believe that. God is sovereign. And when we pray for the sick, God can heal them. Not always, but he does. But by and large, in my experience, people die. Now I know that sounds ridiculous because it should be so obvious. And so the hallmark here of Jacob's faith the hallmark of jacob's faith is that even on his deathbed he's worshiping he's not pointing fingers at god he's not he's not trying to extend his life beyond what god has planned for him he's not afraid of death he's worshiping he's worshiping god while dying it's remarkable this is a strange act of worship, isn't it? It's not kind of what we used to. It's not a band with some songs. It's not Hillsong. It's not what we would think worship is. Worship here is different. It's an ancient form of worship. It was an ancient early practice that is seldom practiced today, and that is the blessing of other sons. And so Jacob is blessing two of the sons of Joseph. And to to understand what's going on here, we need to go back to the original story. So let's go to Genesis 48 from verse 14 to 19, and let's read about this act of worship. It says there, And Israel, which is now Jacob's name after his name had been changed, Jacob, Israel, stretched out his right hand, And laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now, immediately, we need to be remembering previous promises, promises to Abraham, promises even to Adam and Eve. Through her offspring would come liberation. There would come life, which is why she was called Eve, the mother of the living. Abraham, Isaac, these were covenant promises. And Jacob is standing in the same position going, yes, even though I'm dying, God is faithful. Even though I'm going to die and I'm not going to see the promises come to pass, God is faithful. And then we see Joseph's response, verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, dad. Since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his offspring shall be code language you should you should hear that and go oh this is this is important his offspring shall become a multitude of nations so what's going on here why is this such a significant moment why did this require faith now ironically what jacob is doing here's the irony is exactly what he himself experienced. If we just recall, we don't have time to unpack the life of Jacob, but we remember that something like this happened to him. But in what circumstances? Were they faithful circumstances? No, they weren't. Because Jacob, the younger brother was blessed ahead of Esau, the older brother. Jacob and Esau were brothers. Esau was the older brother. Esau had the birthright. Esau had the privilege of being the older and should have been blessed. But Jacob was the deceiver, remember? Jacob deceived Isaac into blessing him by assuming the role of Esau. He covered himself in hairy animal skins because Esau was a hairy, red dude. And so he came in like Esau and pretended to be Esau. And so Isaac gave Jacob the blessing instead of Esau. Was it an act of faith? No, it was a scniving act. It was a scheming act. It was an act of deception. And Jacob wrestled with this his whole life. Literally, didn't he? When the angel of the Lord came, not only did he wrestle with it internally, but he wrestled with it literally. The angel of the Lord appeared at some point in his life, and he literally wrestled his way to faith out of that old identity, out of the old Jacob, deceiving Jacob to faithful Jacob. And now he's repeating the action. And we don't know exactly why. The author doesn't tell us. But Jacob is repeating the action, blessing the younger son, knowing this. Knowing that in the end, God will fulfill his promise. That God's plan always prevails over man's plan. He's reminding us here that despite human interference... Despite human opposition, God's hand cannot be constrained. Faith trusts in God's sovereign plan in the face of the unexpected. What we see here is Jacob reenacting something that happened in his childhood, but now by faith, knowing that. Even his deceitful scheming cannot avert God's sovereign plans. This is good news for us because we have all messed up, right? We are all at some point scheming and devising and and trying to save our own skins, right? And so we do things that we shouldn't do. But here's the good news. God's not unaware of those mistakes. God's not unaware of our efforts and our weaknesses and our failures. God, the good news is God is sovereign over our sin. God is sovereign despite our sin. And so the picture we have here is that Jacob, in his own frailty, he's leaning upon his staff because of old age. There he is leaning on his staff, but in his faith, he's leaning on the sovereignty of God. And there's a picture here of common grace. Common grace will go to the older and saving grace will go to the younger. The offspring from which multitude of nations, eventually the people of God, the nation of Israel, the church, one body, one people. So that's the first picture. There's a whole lot more we need to say, but we don't have time. But Jacob is reenacting and reversing now by faith, knowing that even our sinful actions are not going to stop God's sovereign hand from accomplishing His purposes. I don't know about you, but I think that's really good news for today's world, that the greatest sinful acts of humanity are not going to divert God's sovereign plan from coming to pass. Secondly, Not only do we have Jacob's dying deed, but we have Joseph's dying words. And once again, the text shows us that death and faith are happy alongside one another. Joseph is dying and he's joyfully making funeral arrangements. Have a look at it again. Verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites And gave directions concerning his bones. God had made a promise that the Israelites would come into their own land. But as far as Joseph's experience, it hasn't happened yet. And now he's dying. He's at the end of his life. He's believed God. His whole life he's trusted God. His whole life he's believed what God has said. But it hasn't happened yet. Does that make him give up? Does that, does, does, because it doesn't come to pass in Joseph's lifetime, does that mean God's word hasn't come to pass? No. He's so confident of God's promise beyond his lifespan. He's like, listen, here's what you're going to do. When it happens, because it's going to happen, the exodus is going to happen, you better dig up my bones and take them with you. And so the whole journey through the Red Sea, remember the story of the exodus? The Passover, the Red Sea, there they are carrying Joe. Joe's bones are part of the procession of the Exodus. Why? Because he's like, don't leave me with the pagans. God made a promise. We're going into the promised land. Even in death, he's rejoicing. He's making funeral plans on his deathbed. He's like, I can't wait. I'm going to get to be part of the exodus. What are we learning here? Well, firstly, if he had judged God, if Joseph had judged God's faithfulness on what had been fulfilled in his lifetime, then God would have let him down, right? Right? Sadly, too many of us, too many Christians today want to judge God's faithfulness based on what we've experienced in our lifetime. But the reality is that this life is short. And what God has promised is eternal life. Remember, that's the whole plan of salvation is that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so just because you don't see it come to pass in your life doesn't mean God hasn't or God has failed. God will bring it to pass. There is more to come. C.S. Lewis often has said this. He said that this life now is merely the contents page. The rest is still to come. The story, the actual exciting story is still to come. Your life now is just the contents page. And so Joseph, remember, lived the majority of his life in a foreign pagan land. And remember, his life was hard. It was a tough life. Life had thrown everything at him. But in the end, what does he say to his family? Eventually, right at the end, what does he say to his brothers? Genesis 50 verse 20. What you meant for evil against me, God Meant for good. And I think that's why Jacob and Joseph on their deathbeds are put together because there we see both in deceiving Jacob and in the hardship of Joseph, the evil doesn't triumph over good. God's hand triumphs, God's plan is sovereign even in the darkness. Listen to me, church. Faith looks beyond the sinfulness of man. It's not going to get easier. I think things are going to get harder. I think things are going to get darker, and the church is going to get stronger in the darkness. Because the darkness cannot conquer the light, but the light will be there. But it's going to get darker around us. But here we see faith is confident that even when everyone else gets it wrong, God gets it right. So here's how I want to wrap this up. Our last point is I want to talk to us a little bit about faith in the future. Faith in the future, in particular death. What we see here in these two guys is that faith and death. Sit comfortably together. I'm concerned that Christians today are not comfortable with death. Now don't get me wrong. Death is an enemy. The Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 15 says, death is the last enemy that will be defeated. And death has lost its sting. Yet death still bites. There will be a bite of death. That we will all experience, but the sting of death has been removed. And so as Christians, as we see in Jacob and in Joseph, that death is not to be feared. Death is not, to be, it's not an obstacle to faith. In fact, it's a, a doorway. Faith, faith almost leads you to death, but through death. Do you see that? And, and and what we see here is even as their bodies are failing of old age, at the same time they are invigorated by faith. Jacob while dying, Joseph on his deathbed, and his last of his life, what's happening? Faith is still there in their hearts, they are energized because of a glorious future which is now at the door. It's not the end, it's the beginning of the story. He's just come to the end of the contents page. It's a glorious future that is before them, and so church death is a reality that cannot be denied, and it's not a bad thing to think through death and to talk about death. You know, I mean, is is death this kind of new, unmentionable thing that we should never talk about? You know, people think about it culturally. You know, we've been able to defeat social problems, we've been able to defeat economic problems. We're trying to defeat COVID, it seems like we're getting there, but at the end of the day, no one has been able to defeat death, at least at a cultural level. How do people deal with death? Well, very differently, don't they? Some people laugh about it, that's the only way they can deal with it, is to laugh about it and it make silly jokes, like, he who dies with the most toys wins. Well, good luck with that philosophy. The reason you're joking is because you're fearing death. Other people deny it or try and deny it until it hits them in the face. Others despair. And so we've got this full range of responses. How do we speak about death? How do we live with death? I mean, I read this recently. Someone said, I'm not afraid of, I'm not, they said, I'm not scared to be dead. I'm just afraid of dying. And then they said this, I just want to wake up dead. Wow. And so as Christians, what are we to make of this faith and death combination? Are we being morbid when we take sin and death seriously? Not at all. Rather, like Jacob and Joseph, we face the reality of death with faith. We face it with hope. We face it with The knowledge that the best is still to come. Joseph Bailey says this. Christians claim to believe that heaven, being present with God, is so wonderful. And yet act as if going there were the greatest tragedy. Death for the believer is no tragedy. And for the believer to die well, to live and die, aiming to glorify God, is a thing of great beauty. You know, when I read verse 21 and verse 22, that's what I I see. I see a posture of beauty. Jacob and Joseph, bring it on. By faith, bring it on. That's not the end. And so I want to refer you to verse 13 of 11. 13 to 16. In the great chapter on faith, what do we read? These all died in faith. Not having received the things promised. They didn't get it. They didn't get the inheritance. I'll tell you why now. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Here's what's happening. From the time humanity began, those who died in faith, from Adam and Eve onward, all who died in faith, are absent from the body and present with the Lord. But that's not even the end. That's a glorious future, but that's a temporary future. To be present with the Lord is a beautiful thing, but that's not the end of the story. They are still waiting for the promise. What promise? Of a resurrected body. Christian. That's why Joseph was like, Take my bones with you because I'm going to get resurrected. The day is coming. And you know what? He still hasn't been resurrected. Why? Because we're waiting for all the believers through all of time to be put together so that the glory of God can be revealed when Christ returns and the resurrection happens. Until Christ returns, all who've died in faith are absent from the body, present with the Lord. And when the Lord returns, we are no longer absent from the body. We are present with the Lord and we receive new bodies. And we dwell on a new heaven and new earth because God has prepared a city for us. An eternal city, a heavenly Jerusalem in Revelation will come out of heaven and dwell on earth. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Church, if we can trust God with eternal life, how much more can we trust God for your life now? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. For your examples of faith, we thank you for your cloud of witnesses, which are still being gathered. The cloud is growing. This growing body of believers, thousands and thousands of whom are already in heaven, and more thousands are now on earth, and one day all of us together will receive the Inheritance that you promised. Resurrected life. With new bodies in a new heaven and a new earth. And on that day, we will rejoice with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with Joseph. We will all rejoice together with our new bodies In the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. And so we thank you that death, we don't need to fear death. We can die in faith, full of hope, full of joy. But until that day, we continue to live lives of faith to serve you, Lord Jesus, and to fulfill our purpose. And so we thank you that if we can have life beyond the grave, then we can have life now. And I pray that you would strengthen our hearts and that you would encourage us to be filled with faith and to be filled with acts of faith and acts of adventure, knowing that our lives are in your hands. That we will not be taken a moment before you decide. That we will live out our days exactly as you have planned. All of our ways and all of our days are numbered. And even the sinfulness of man cannot avert it. We thank you that your plan will prevail even in our lives. And so we trust you, God. I pray that you would comfort us with this knowledge and strengthen us for the mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.